that flop? Real slop has got chunks of things in it. This is more like gruel. And this Chateau LeBlanc 68 is supposed to be served slightly chilled. This is room temperature. What do you think we are? Animals! After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast. And they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast. And your hosts are best that I inform you that the show will now begin. Hello and welcome to the Sequel Cast. The Sequel Cast is a podcast that looks at movies in a franchise one film at a time. This time around, we are wrapping up our look at the Naked Gun trilogy. Uh, the theme song you just heard was written and performed by Mark with a C. Check out his music at markwithac.com. And the sequel cast is a proud member of the Battleship Retention podcast fleet. Check out other great film and TV podcasts at battleshipretention.com. Now, I mentioned we're rounding out the Naked Gun trilogy with the final film so far in the series, Naked Gun 33 and a Third, The Final Insult. Directed. Very, very prescient title. Yeah, that's a thrasher right there. Hello? And uh, it's directed by Peter Seagal, so it's not directed by the same director of the uh, the first two films. Although, the um, you know, one of the Zuckers, David Zucker, is a writer on this one. Indeed. And uh, David Zucker did also direct one and two. So I think at this point he was just wanting to um David Zucker had like the Hot Shots franchise at the time that he was directing which sadly did not make it to trilogy status. I wouldn't mind revisiting those later if we're in the mood for another short comedy series cuz I have a feeling those might hold up better than Naked Gun but maybe not. Well, I will say this right off the top, uh Naked Gun 33 and a third I find holds up very well. Yeah, me too. You know, I was shocked after the uh, the disappointment in the kind of mediocre episode we had last week on uh, Naked Gun Two and a Half: Smell of Fear. I was really dreading going back revisiting this one because this uh, Naked Gun Thirty Three and the Third it's the only one I've seen in a theater. Uh, a buddy of mine in uh, in middle school. Hey, Josh Small, if you're listening. Um, and he is. I can uh, see him right now. Right with it, with his glasses and his uh, bouffant of hair. Yep. Yep, that's you I'm talking to. Uh, uh, we went for uh, his birthday, you know, um, all of his, a dozen of his buddies, myself included, went to see uh, Naked Gun 33 and a third, and then we went out for pizza afterwards. It was pretty fun. Yeah, so it this movie doesn't have, like, the second one had all the George Bush stuff, which I think really dated it and had sort of a, the plot in this one I think is nice and, and simple. And what it's spoofing is more uh, timeless topics, I think. But uh, when did you first see this? Did you see this in the theater or on video? Uh, I did not see it in the theater. The first time I saw it was actually on uh, HBO a few months after it came out. Whenever it premiered on HBO, that's when I first saw it. Gotcha. Now, um, the director of this, Peter Seagal, this was his first um, theatrical film he directed. But since then, he's directed a slew of um comedies some good like uh tommy you, boy you use the term comedy generously 
Well, you know, some of these I think are good. Like Tommy Boy, I think is good. I think Fifty First Dates is one of the more solid Adam Sandler uh, comedies. Um, and then he's did things like recently Grudge Match, the sort which of which we talked the, about when we did the Rocky series, right? And I, I'd like to see it now that it's out on video. I like Stallone and De Niro enough to see a boxing comedy, even if it's not supposed to be so hot. Um, he directed Nutty Professor Two, The Clumps. Gee, that'd be something to do on sequel cast. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. You know, I look. I actually, I look at this. So, like, I actually, I'm, I'm a big fan of Tommy Boy. I really like that that film. But I noticed Nutty Professor Two, The Clumps, and uh, Anger Management. Those are two movies I came very close to walking out on. Longest Yard. That was a, a remake uh, from the same director. You know, uh, and My Fellow Americans was a political comedy with Dan Aykroyd and Jack uh, Lemmon, I believe. Hmm. Uh, Walter Matthau, perhaps I don't know one of those. I haven't I haven't seen that one, but I recall the video on the shelf when I worked at a blockbuster video. So Peter Segal has has done a um, a lot, and this was his first film. I think the way he directs it, he respects how David Zucker directed the first two. If you would have told me it was directed by Zucker, I would have believed you. Well, it's it's got a very it's. Like it's not polished, it's not flashy, but it's a it's shot. It's all very economical. You you see everything you need to see. Right, they certainly had a um, a budget in there. Reportedly, Leslie Nielsen wanted the title of this to be "Naked Gun Thirty Three and a Third: The Next Final Insult," so people would keep on talking. Well, what's the final insult? <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, the poster for this I think is pretty effective, even if it's sort of like a Photoshop job. It's Frank Drebin, who's looking a bit older now. Um, that at the time he did this film, Leslie Nielsen would have been, because this came out in 94, Leslie Nielsen would have been, gee, like a 60, 67 or something. Mm. But he's still relatively in shape for his age, looking pretty good. But he's sort of in a pretzel, shooting a gun through his own shoe. And it says, yeah, mostly he's... all new jokes, is the tagline. Yeah, which I, I, this is a very effective poster. It's got a neat image. I love that, like all the icons of like a police procedural are on there. You got a stoic police officer. You got the well-worn shoes, the pistol, uh, the the badge. But it's all compressed so tightly, and I, I just love that the bullet is ricocheting and going through his shoes multiple times. Uh, one of the early promo posters for Naked Gun uh, thirty-three and a third, the final insult, actually resulted in a lawsuit, and uh, was. Was that the promo where it was Leslie Nielsen's head photoshopped on the Demi Moore nude pregnancy Time magazine cover? Um, right, and it's actually you know it, it was it's an original painting. It's it's photoshopped on that I think was done on top of the. Uh, I mean, it looks very similar to the original photograph, so it, it's an homage. But right at the time, Demi Moore was famous for posing on the cover of a magazine, uh, nude and pregnant, and she's covering her breast, and they just did a very accurate recreation of that in a painting, but then painted Leslie Nielsen's face on top. Um, I actually had a friend in high school who had, uh, who had that as the Leslie Nielsen version as a, as a folder. That's great. For for whatever reason, there was naked gun 33 and a third merchandise, which was a scholastic folder with that picture. (laughs) Back when they had trapper keepers. And the the reason for the lawsuit is the photographer who, who took that was very famous and had copyright on that, photograph and because of parody law um you know they they lost i think they they might not even have really gotten to court they threw it out pretty quickly because it's, it's yeah, clearly it really, 
really comedic. it would be fair use to begin with, and even then, it's a painting based on a photograph that's fair use. So I, I, I hesitate to say that you can say anything is, is fair use because the definition can vary from case to case. But certainly, I mean, that's why pornos now, if it's based on something, it'll say in the title a triple X parody, or ju- or this just ain't. Right, that too, to make it exceedingly obvious. And that's because of a lawsuit that um, uh, George Lucas uh, filed. Uh, it was a anime porn film uh, based off of Star Wars called Star Balls. Uh, oh, yes. Yeah, Star Wars and Dragon Ball Z. And they thought, and in, in court they said, you know, there's no way anybody can confuse this for Star Wars. Uh, even though, the, the, you know, the stormtroopers have penis helmets and that sort of thing. But we're not talking about uh, porn. <laughs> not yet, anyway. Yeah, uh, we're talking about Naked Gun 33 and a third, the final insult. Uh, it's weird to see O.J. Simpson in this, because at the time, it was during the O.J. Simpson uh, stuff in the news. No, no, all that all that went down after the movie was released. Not long after. Oh, no, not long after. I mean, by the time this hit television, uh, it had been blasted all over the news. Oh, and and actually, and that's the thing. There was an interview with uh, there was an interview with Leslie Nielsen on. It, it was you know one one of those you know show business shows that apparently Leslie Nielsen and the makers of this movie wanted to do a fourth Naked Gun, and there was even one in the works. But they had all mutually decided, well, we can't do a Naked Gun movie without O.J. Simpson, but we can't put O.J. Simpson into a movie. It would destroy all the comedy. He because he his his persona became so loaded. Well, let's talk about Naked Gun Four before actually talking about the film uh, Naked Gun Thirty Three and a Third. Saving the best for last. Go on. Right. So, um, at one point, Paramount had a division that decided, hey, you know, are, are movies that have sold really well on video, they might have been smash hits in the theater, that but they've done repeat business on video and DVD. Uh, let's have a. Uh, an arm of, of Paramount that does direct-to-video sequels, kind of like on the cheap. And as a result, you saw, like, um, well, I guess this is universal, but it's, it's an example of this kind of thing. Like, American Pie, right, had all those direct-to-video uh, spin-offs. Oh, Lord, yeah. And uh, Naked Gun was one they were considering. And the script they had at one point was uh, was much better than they were expecting, and Leslie Nielsen said, you know, I really want to do this even if it's direct to video. But Leslie Nielsen, even though he was in his 80s at the time, was too expensive. Really? And at one point they said, well, we're going to do it with someone but not Leslie Nielsen. And there was a big fight. And then Leslie Nielsen died shortly afterwards. I mean, this was like in the mid-2000s or something. So not, not too far uh, before uh, Leslie Nielsen passed away, unfortunately. And because of that, it, it lied lie dormant but apparently the script was quite good uh, from what research I, I found and uh, the the latest uh, I'm pulling up this article Entertainment Weekly had did a recent uh, post on uh, their blog E Loves called 31 film reboots and sequels that are completely unnecessary Naked Gun is on there mm. and the plan is guess who they would have is Frank Drebin I mean this would be a reboot I think Ed Helms Ed Helms, which I think he's not old enough. I think he's very funny from Hanover and The Office and all that stuff. Yeah, I guess I guess the thing with the thing with him is I'm not sure if he'd be able to play it straight. 
um, and, and that's really the strength of the Frank Drebin character is that he's played completely straight no matter what ridiculous thing he's doing or what ridiculous thing he's saying I think they would be better going for somebody who's not known for their comedy because that's part of the genius of casting Leslie Nielsen he was not known for his comedies he was known as being a leading man in the 50s well this just struck me you know who would make a really good um, Frank Drebin if they were going to do a remake Nicolas Cage you know you know under the right circumstances, I could see it. He's very funny in uh, what Raising Arizona. Oh and, yeah, and he can in, do comedy. He can do comedy very well. He rarely gets a chance to do it, unfortunately. Uh, I'm just imagining him like a midget on a urinal. I'd have to stay on my toes. <laughs> right, they have to be good at the narration. I think the uh, the writing in this by Pat Proft, David Zucker, and Robert Lokash is is surprisingly sharp. Yeah, the, the the voiceover gags are amazing. That that midget on a urinal is one of my favorite lines in this movie. I, I stopped. I laughed so hard after that line. I had to rewind it. It's well, like, just so dry, and it's not. But it's that, also a perfect hard boiled detective exactly. line. I mean, that's worthy of Ellery Queen. I mean, the thing that a naked gun film has to do, which is so hard, is it's not just that it's as spoofing the procedural format. It's that you have. In the best circumstance, and I think Naked Gun 33 and a third qualifies, you have to have a story that works legitimately as sort of a a procedural uh, cop uh, mystery, and yet it has to have jokes. And yet everyone has to play it so straight, you never have anyone mugged to the camera. (laughs) Very true. And that's such a hard balancing act. It's not like epic movie where it's like, oh, this... These, this 20 minutes makes fun of Pirates of the Caribbean, and this 10 minutes is Iron Man, and this 2 minutes is Borat. And, and of course, the setup and the punchline is, hey, do you remember this from a trailer from six months ago? And then there's literally a line of dialogue, you know, Iron Man, just to make sure the audience gets it. <laughs> oh. I'm not exaggerating, you know, I am think, I? I, mean, I think that like, series has more characters just coming on screen and saying their name than any other series. Right. But back to the good stuff. Back to Naked Gun 33 and a third. And Uh, it is good stuff. This is the only film in the series where Frank Drebin has a real character arc, which uh, you don't see in comedies that often. Well, it's not just him. It's his wife, too. Yes. And, like, I love that they give her so much to do in this movie. She gets her own plot line. And what is that plot line? Well, the whole, the whole plot line is that Frank Frank Drebin has he's he's finally retired and he's settled into domestic life and he and his wife are trying to have a baby, but then police squad gets a really difficult case they need help cracking, so they and and, and of course and so they go to Frank Drebin and Frank Drebin just can't resist having a case to work on so he goes to help him out thinking it's just going to be like a one day consulting thing but his wife finds out and it leads them to having a physical separation well and then as part as uh, frank drevin having a retirement from the force he's become kind of like a, a homebody and more more um, more feminine i guess he's cooking cupcakes well he's... i love that thing with the marriage counselor now uh which one of you is impotent well that would be frank and which one of you uh, suffers from uh, from frigidity that would be frank too <laughs> There's also a good line that they really sneak in there that's sort of a, a jab against Woody Allen, where they're saying, well, you know, don't you want a kid? And he's like, well, we uh, we adopted that 18-year-old Korean girl. Oh, I do I do remember that Woody Allen dig. It's a real throwaway line. If, if you look for it, it's there. And 
You know that, and then you're right. You're talking about his his wife, uh, played of course, is in the other films by Priscilla Presley, had a um, has an arc where she and a, a, her sequences basically spoof Thelma and Louise, a movie that I've never seen, but I've seen so many parodies of it. I feel like I've seen the film. Yeah, I, I think there's enough parodies out there that you could edit all those parodies together into a into a recreation of the film. Right, Simpsons did a, a parody of Thelma and Louise years ago and, and so forth. And um, she says, you know, I uh, screw Frank, I don't need him. You know, I'm going to go with my best girlfriend. We're going to go drive across the, across the country and live like a couple of, you know, teenagers and stuff. We're, gonna, we're just going to have a good old good old time with the girls driving around. I don't need a man anymore. And her her license plate literally says man hater in case you didn't get it. <laughs> well, it's one of those things where just the license plate immediately fits the whatever mood the driver's in. There's a lovely gag with her where she's talking to Frank and she keeps on shaking her head and every time they cut back to her she has a different wig on. Oh yeah, her hair. Well, the other the other thing I like is when they have the relationship ending argument. She keeps slamming doors in Frank's face, but every time she slams a door, she immediately comes out of the door like in a different outfit and like further packed. Right, and, and it Frank, is so rapid fire, and there's just such great camera work there. It's amazing. Well, what what are your thoughts about the uh, the villain of the film? Played by Fred Ward, uh, Rocco Dillon. Fred Ward is it was a bad guy in a lot of movies. Well, I think that's why he he works so well. I mean, he, he's just he's playing the kind of stock character he's played so often, but with ridiculous things to say and do. And I also yeah. love that they bring Pop Schmear back. Pop Schmear is back from the first film, and that it, and that it's another terrorist plot, but this time it's a terrorist plot to blow up the Oscars. So, did you like the the storyline in this one? Do you think it's was pretty easy to follow? Well, yes, because it's just enough of a storyline to hang all these jokes on. It is it is no more complicated than it needs to be. And and we get to see more of Leslie Nielsen's range because part of the part of the part of the case that he ends up taking on is he has to go undercover in a prison and we get some awesome Shawshank parody stuff, just some awesome general prison movie parody stuff and we get to see Frank Drebin undercover and it's so great to see Frank Drebin, it was great to see Leslie Nielsen playing a bumbling detective, playing a successful criminal. But before that, there's a hilarious extended sequence at a sperm bank. Oh, Lord. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, he needs medical records, and the place to get them is like the sperm bank. But to maintain his cover, he keeps getting called in a back room to make donations. And like, and I love that every time he goes into the room, <laughs> the door closes, and you just hear these like weird noises. You hear like squeaking noises, and Leslie Nielsen just going, "Hee, whoa!" And you know, because he uh, he fills six cups uh, full of his 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 cum, his semen, as part of doing this investigation. To, it's to Drebin's dribbles. Yeah, Drebin's dribbles. <laughs> um, by the time he gets home, he's supposed to have, you know, like a frisky night with his wife. I think it's their anniversary, or maybe they're just going to try and fuck a bunch to, to sire a child to try and knock her up, right? And, uh, yes. uh, and she has this very, the wife has a very funny neon uh, lighting thing pointing towards well, her pussy this and This lingerie ass. that lights up. Yeah, neon lingerie. Very, I could see stuff like that in Las Vegas. I don't know. Um, but yeah, you—it's it, truly ridiculous. But he's totally spent from having shot his load, uh, literally, at the sperm bank several times. 
Well, I I love it because like like when when he's not interested, she immediately goes, "Frank, you're on a case, aren't you?" He's like, "No, Jane, it's another woman, I swear." <laughs> <laughs> and then, as part to get him to fill his last cup, they had a dominatrix. So she takes off. He takes off his shirt, and he has scratch marks. From the oh yeah, well, actually speaking of that dominatrix, dominatrix, yeah. So, so it's great because when they ask if he he needs help, and he's like, y- "Yes," they're like, "Doctor Peters, please report to the donation ward." And this dominatrix just comes strutting in. Do you know who that dominatrix is? Is it Ginger Lynn Allen? No, it is not. That is mm. the one and only Julie Strain. How about that? Okay, I knew it had to be a cameo. Oh, it is, and it's and it's like once again brilliant casting. I thought Ginger Lynn Allen was an inspired guess. I guess she's shorter. But yeah, uh, as as it is said in her biography, she Julie Strain is six foot one and worth the climb. Ugh, you know, like all that that stuff in the sex shop reminded me, or not the sex shop, the um, the sperm bank with the dominatrix stuff reminded me of, gee, how many years? Almost ten years ago now, I was in Japan on vacation with some friends, and we went to sort of a, a sex toy shop for the hell of it in, in Tokyo. Go on, and. Uh, I might have it was said this, Hello Connie, wasn't it? Uh, no, no, no. But uh, I might have said this story on the show before. But if I had, it's been it's been a while, so bear with me, listeners. And as you climb up the staircase to uh, to get to the top floor, and as you go through the different floors, it gets sort of more and more explicit or erotic or you know obscure with what you're you're seeing at the store. You see all these pictures of uh, women with their faces covered, topless, just like pinned up against the wall of this staircase as you're looping up to get to the top. And uh, I was asked, I was talking, you know, English to the guy, and he could speak English, the guy that ran the place. I'm like, well, what does that mean? He's like, oh, well, if you're a woman, you're willing to get your picture taken. You know, you don't see your face. It's just you see uh, it's a topless picture, but your face is invisible. Um, you get like 30% off your merchandise in the store. And I thought, you know, that's pretty clever. The face isn't visible. Hmm, interesting. Not, I don't think you could do that marketing stuff in the U.S. Perhaps there might be laws against that. But uh, of course, at the same time, I can also imagine a, a lunatic who has all these nude pictures of women and he cuts the heads off as part of some weird ritual. Right. Yeah. It it was kind of uh, creepy and erotic at the same time. It was like these are literally just the tits. And that's exactly <laughs> how I would describe Leslie Nielsen: creepy and erotic at the same time. Right, he he gets Frank has more to do in this, you know. It, he does go to prison. A lot of it's a, a spoof of, you know, not just stuff like Shawshank Redemption, perhaps, but uh, the Great Escape really comes to mind with him oh, digging yeah. the tunnel. Well, also, well, what about that extended Godfather slash Battleship Potemkin scene at the beginning? Ah, right, yeah. You know, uh, the film critics at the time loved that opening sequence and didn't like the rest of the film for whatever reason. <laughs> I can I can see that. I mean that and, that's the kind of that's the kind of the opening is the kind of thing that film ler- nerds like you and me absolutely love. Right, because not only is it an homage to the battleship uh, Potemkin, Potemkin, which I was going to say Pretension, which uh, were part of their podcast fleet, completely like the different. Doc- well, I mean that's why they're called Battleship Pretension. Don't don't homage. associate us with with those those frauds. Those frogs? I didn't know they were French. <laughs> no, uh, but when. You um, so it's an homage step, but not only that, it's an homage to an homage because there's a scene not Godfather. I have to correct you, but oh, Goodfellas, in, no, The Untouchables. Oh, The Untouchables. There's Never a mind. scene in The Untouchables that's an homage to the scene in 
Battleship Potemkin. Battleship Potemkin. So this is an homage to an This is an homage to an homage to an homage of the Odessa Step sequence for Battleship Potemkin. And, and I just love how over the top they get where there's all this gunplay and there's an endless flow of baby carriages rolling down the stairs as if they're catching the babies and like spiking them like footballs. Not only that, you have angry postal workers with machine guns running down the stairs like anything oh, yeah. you can imagine. Uh, and later on in the chaotic. film, there's a fun flashback to the 70s where not only do you get to see Frank Drebin with uh, – he doesn't have much of a wig, but he sort of has a Beatles got- haircut. Yeah, well, everybody has, like, 70s hair. There's, like, a pompadour, and Nordberg has that afro that's bigger than he is, and he can't walk through the door. <laughs> and the way that set is dressed and the music they play, uh, I believe it's meant to be an homage to the flashback in Airplane. Probably is. Because it is staying alive, just like in that film. It looks like, if not the same set, pretty damn close to it. Yeah, and it's it's it, it's just it's a great flashback scene all around, and that's when we're introduced uh, to Anna Nicole Anna Nicole's character. Yeah, Tanya Peters. I think as an actress uh, in this, I, I'm sad. You know, I've seen some of her pictorials. I have not seen uh, any of the the porn or Playboy uh, uh, video she was in, but her acting isn't bad. Well, she she seems really suited to this kind of comedy, right? She, you know, I think she's not as flat. Uh, I'm talking about her line delivery and not her bust uh, as, well. as Paris Hilton. Um, and she, she, she's good enough. A- as the line uh, from Babe goes, that'll do, pig, that'll do. Well, you know what's interesting is that she, she really only operates on one level in this movie, but that only helps because when she has a line to say that's just a pure joke, she says it the same way that she says every other line, and it... Whether it's intentional or not, it keeps her playing it straight, like all the other actors. I mean, perhaps her limited range um, helps her in that in that regard. But I think you know she ha- has some timing in there. I, I, she's better than I would have expected because I, I even as a middle school kid, I was in sixth grade going to see this film. I saw on the poster it says Anna Nicole Smith, and I'm like, oh, geez, really. And I came out pleasantly <laughs> surprised. I'm like, well, you know, that it was good. And I just like I just love that that line. Have you seen my pigeon? <laughs> it's just like the perfect reading of that line. <laughs> it's a lot of non seconders. Um the only time Well no, no, because she actually had a pet pigeon, but Frank Drebin got the accidentally got the pigeon sucked through a fan and it exploded. Oh, right, right. Seconds before. There's so many jokes in this it's difficult to keep track of it all. The one part yeah, of the that's film, the other thing. This yeah. movie really is densely packed with it jokes. Is. It is, but not with plot, which I think helps. Oh yeah. Now, would you? Now, what do you think of the of the the prison sequence when Frank goes undercover as the con? I was really pleased to see Arlie Ermy of Full Metal Jacket fame in there as one of the head um, like prison guards. You know, you get the classic kind of scene of a big fight in the prison cafeteria oh god that riot scene i love the setup for that scene where you know <laughs> leslie nielsen stands up and he says what what are they having us eating slop it tastes more like gruel <laughs> like, and he's like you know pointing everything that's wrong then he holds up a glass of wine at this chateau de la blanc uh, <laughs> 1987 it's meant to be served slightly <laughs> 
slightly chilled, but this is room temperature. Are we animals? No. What are we? Homo, Homo sapiens? sapiens? That's right. We're men. And like the, <laughs> I, I, just, I love every line in that exchange. I don't know what it was about this script, but for whatever reason, um, Leslie Nielsen really attacks it with gusto in this film. He seems more energetic. He's more charged. Yeah, and I'm and I'm wondering, do you do you think that's because there's better direction, or Leslie Nielsen's just so comfortable in the role, or do you think they just trusted they let they trusted his comedic instinct and just let him do what he wanted to do? A part of it is is comfort in the role. I mean, I'm looking around like what he did. He, aside from the Naked Gun stuff, he in his sort of renaissance, his second career, so to speak. Uh, starting with Airplane, where he did a lot of comedies, he did stuff like um, Repossessed. What? Well, no, I'm talking oh, about, oh, you're talking about no, comedies. the comedies he did, like between the Naked Gun two and this one. You know, Naked Gun one and then yeah. Naked Gun three. Which he did actually, re- I yeah, I like Repossessed. That's a very really? underrated movie. I don't know. I like the idea more than what it is. I think there's something about it. But he had you know parts in like Surf Ninjas and. They were never quite... Um, they weren't up to his level. Weren't up to his level. I mean, I, I actually do like a film he did the year after Naked Gun 33 and a third, uh, Mel Brooks' Dracula Dead and Loving It. Yeah, which, that's another underrated film. Which a lot of people hate, I think, because it's not the masterpiece that is Young Frankenstein, but uh, nothing in Mel Brooks's canon really is. Except possibly the producers in High Anxiety. High Anxiety is quite the, the fine film. And if you want to hear us talk about Mel Brooks, check out our classic Sequel Cast special episode at SequelCast.com. And while you're there, scroll down, click our Donate button, donate to us via PayPal, and we got links to Amazon rentals of the movies we're talking about. If you do that, it's usually between uh, $1.99 and $2.99. We get a cut of that. We appreciate it. And the Sequel Cast uh, network, the full roster of podcasts, including our movie show, the Sequel Cast you're listening to, and the video game sequel cast. You can hear all that on Stitcher Smart Radio. Don't wait 10 years for a podcast to download. Listen to it streaming right there on the double. Get the app at stitcher.com slash sequelcast. And all the sequel cast shows get added as one of your favorites, because, of course, why wouldn't they be? Listen to us on Stitcher. See how smooth that was and that rehearsed? I've never done that before. Uh, so back to our Naked Gun <laughs> 33 and a third, the final insult discussion where were we? <laughs> well, we we were just talking about the pri- the prison scene, particularly the riot. Yes, um, yes. And actually, the um, one thing that that stood out to me is there's actually a lot of music montages in this movie. Mm. Well, remember because you get you get the, you get the you know when you get the the mont- Oh, once again they bring back baseball because Frank Drebin joins the prison baseball team, but he he's using the the baseball outings to like dump dirt from his the escape tunnel he's digging and of course it gets more and more extreme as we see him do that there's a music montage there there's also a music montage of just about his single life i think it's done too hip to be square you're right and we see him struggle with the shopping carts and things like that and there's several montages uh in the the, the third act of the film is at the academy awards which is where the bad oh. guys are going to set off a an envelope bomb which hilariously they test this bomb <laughs> um, with these giant robot hands taking a bomb yeah. out of a giant envelope next to a satellite. 
Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. When, yeah. When they get out of prison and they're holed up with the the, the main guy, the main crook's mom, and they, yeah, they've got and, and I believe they've actually got the envelope bomb on the same kind of tower that was used to test some of the first atomic weapons in the forties. Good catch. Yeah, that could very well be the case. The stuff with the shocking mother, amount of detail yeah. in that throwaway scene. A lot of detail, of course. Um, I'm not crazy about all the gags with the mother. Like I, that actress has was in Throw Mama from the Train, I believe. Who played the mother in this? Is that right? Uh, wait. Uh, what's her name? Was it Kathleen Freeman? Maybe I'm not sure. She has an old wrinkled face. She's in a lot of films at the time. Oh yeah, yeah. No, that that was that was uh, that was Kathleen Freeman. Right. And was she in Which... Throw Mama from the Train? I think she was. No, no, no. Throw Throw Mama from the Train. Oh crud! No, that was someone completely different. Uh, actually, I'm checking that. Checking that now. She was in Blues Brothers. Throw Mama from the Train. The original Nutty was Professor. Was Anne Ramsey? I see. Okay. Anne Ramsey was. But she's that same kind of look. You know, she's real tough looking. Well, they they both they both have this sort of Ma Barker thing to them. Right, which uh, which works. Yeah, I guess I guess the, the the mother the mother is like just sort of there. Although, oh no, she actually starts hating on Leslie Nielsen, doesn't she? She does because Leslie Nielsen says like, "Oh, who's the hag driving the getaway car?" And uh, the the bad guy who is played by Fred Ward, he's like, "That's my mother." And he's like, "Oh, she looks very nice." You know, he has to cover the whole time. Oh yeah. Oh god, and there's also uh, when when they're holed up in, the, in that cabin. Another one of my favorite gags when when Anna Nicole's character comes in in her nightgown, and we get that POV of Frank Drebin like looking from her feet up, and her like the camera keeps going up and up and up, and we pass her knees I think six times <laughs> until he finally gets to the top, <laughs> until he finally like gets to the rest of her. So I just love that 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 gag on a slow pan. There is a joke um, near the the end of the film that kind of gave me pause. That I thought it was real funny as a kid, and I think maybe because the uh, um, I don't know, maybe awareness of uh, transgender people is different than it was at the time. Mm-hmm. But you you have a, a reveal where um, Anna Nicole Smith's character is trying to seduce Lizzie Nielsen. She takes her top off. I mean, you, you don't see the tits, but you see sort of like the, we the see profile, a right? You see a silhouette and. Leslie Nielsen, you know, eyes bug out. He, he seems quite aroused. And then you see the silhouette. It kind of like uh, takes she takes off the pants and oh, she's got a penis. Well, like the, the weird thing is, is like the, the look on Leslie Nielsen's face. It's not like he's at least to me. I don't read it as him being horrified or grossed out. I read it as him being confused. Hmm. Maybe more surprised. Yeah, just like you know, it's the yeah. last. It's the last thing he expected, uh, and, and you know, it's one of those things where, like, now he has to reconsider his sexuality because he's been he's been lusting after this character for so long. Interesting, but it does com- come completely out of nowhere, and it doesn't go anywhere when it's done. I would have liked a bit more setup, maybe, to it. I don't know. I think um, what is very funny is all the the stuff with the Oscars at the end of the film. Is oh god, they quite do good. every Oscar joke they possibly can. They do. They have tons of celebrity cameos, including the uh, Vanna White and Weird Al Yankovic. Weird Al Yankovic, of course, who's been had small parts in all three films. 
James Earl Jones, uh, Raquel Welch, and you get the running gag that Leslie Nielsen, he, he knocks out Phil Donahue and takes his part as a presenter, and he keeps on having to delay for time, and gives these, yeah, very, bizarre, like, oh, these very bizarre speeches. You know what, what was what was his like he he like he said some like speech about like lo- like he starts like praising veterans but then starts saying how you should lock up veterans and then you should feed dogs to the homeless right and then he says you know but, but what, one more thing Raquel these uh you know I, I look at all these cats and these I look at the cat food we spend an awful lot on cat food can't we give that food to the homeless. And then you might wonder, well, how are we going to feed cats? And I think, hmm, look at all. We have thousands of porpoises across the country in sea parks. Perfectly good source of meat. Why don't we simply take those, make those into food for cats, and then so we can feed cat food to the homeless (laughs) and cure homelessness. I love those crazy rambles he goes on. There's quite a few. They're very funny there's this running thing at one point he throws up in a tuba and they keep they have a great running gag cutting to the uh the director of the show he's like cut away what phil donahue again it's like <laughs> phil donahue's puking into a tuba that wasn't in rehearsal and he's <laughs> yeah. like chugging maylock straight from the bottle and just like keeps giving this rapid fire instructions. Yeah, they really pack the Oscar scene with every possible joke. Like I even love it when they when they're showing like like clips of movies. And like my favorite being like a musical biography of Mother Teresa, and they cut to the clip, and it's just this really spry dancer. Food, I love food. Yes, I'm really in the mood for fresh hotcakes or poo poo platters, just kebab. It doesn't matter. Food, I love food. <laughs> and like. You know, throwing food around and like taking the crutches from orphans to use as a prop and a dance routine. Yeah, and I think um, perhaps something you haven't seen since the first film, a sort of climactic standoff between the hero and the villain, in this case, uh, Frank and Rocco, is actually pretty well done. And again, you have the whole thing. It's like, it's, it's only, it only makes sense. I'm the maniac, so I should have the bomb. Right, and he's like, you know, I'll give, I'll give him my pistol. Oh, wait. And, like, he makes, like, all the wrong choices, and people in the audience are groaning, and then you're not sure which envelope the bomb is in. And then when it gets to best picture, he says, it's it's the bomb. It's the bomb. And, and then, then the people who made the worst <laughs> movie stand up to accept the and Oscar. Start cheering. It was, it was a doc. It was it was a five-hour documentary called <laughs> Sawdust and Mildew. Yes. Um, and, and every – like, all the other best pictures were, like uh, – a woman struggling to overcome something in the back with in the backdrop of something like World War Two or or the Hindenburg disaster or the final season of Mash. Well, one I think it's someone has a speech about one of the actresses is nominated for a movie where she plays someone suffering a yeast infection during the Buffalo Bills season of ninety one. Like it's yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> so awfully awfully specific, but it, the the movie. Ends real strong, and then the joke in the hospital. Well, at first the baby appears to be um, black, and he thinks it's Nordberg was the father, but he just ends up looking at the wrong baby. Yeah, he was in the wrong wing of the hospital. Is a is a pretty yeah, good well, we joke. Also, and, and and of course we also Pat we Papschmier uh, dies. He does. They both die on a plane. Did you notice the magazine Papschmier is reading? 
Uh, isn't isn't it a magazine that Anna Nicole Smith is in? It's a Playboy magazine with Anna Nicole Smith on the cover. Yes. So, very weird stuff. But we've talked plenty about this film. Well, can I talk just one one one, one last gag? Sure. There's this there's this gag that like starts lame but ends brilliant. Where like when Leslie Nielsen needs to get help, and you know he runs to this taxi cab. He's like, "You got." Help me! There, there's a bomb, and the taxi cab driver uh, doesn't speak English. Then he goes to the next taxi cab. Like, you gotta help me! There's a bomb. That taxi cab driver starts like just you know speaking, babbling incoherently. He gets to the last taxi cab driver, opens his mouth, and just says, "Never mind," and leaves. And the taxi cab driver is like in like full like Swahili like makeup with a headdress and everything, and and the cab driver just kind of turns and says, "I wonder what the devil he wanted." <laughs> you should never judge by appearances, Matthew. Right, that is a classic example of, of a naked gun joke uh, done well. So, I mean, it is pretty rare. Think about it. A TV show spinoff gets a whole trilogy, and it's not Star Trek. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think that's the only other example. It's a whole trilogy in theaters. If only that would have happened with Twin Peaks, but they only had one film. Um, so, Well, that could change. I'm going to rate this film out of five stars. I would give a Naked Gun 33 and a third, the final insult. Four out of five stars. It's by far my favorite in the trilogy. Uh, I'm not sure I've had that happen in the sequel cast before. Like a third film better than the first one. Maybe a Return of the Jedi compared to Star Wars, I think, might be the last time I did that. So, Well, you know, it's... Yeah, it is It is rare. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and give it a full five. Uh, I think it... I, you know, I, I have enjoyed this better than the original. I think it's packed with more gags. The gags are generally higher quality. Uh, it's a better it's a better all around movie. It's a better all around parody. It's the best version of these kinds of movies. All right. Well, let's do a uh, pitch a sequel here. All right. I think I think I'll begin if you don't mind. Go right ahead, mate. All right. Um, I'm from Canada, or I am. I am Canada. I am. I am. I am. Um, I. <laughs> Okay, so Leslie Nielsen goes on a he's on he's on a vacation. He he's retired for good now. Uh, this presumably yeah, he's still alive. He'd be like almost ninety or something. And he he flies out with his wife. They're they're in England to uh, to reunite with the the Queen of England from the first film. They're sort of celebrating together, ironically enjoying a baseball game on the couch. And you get to see crazy sort of baseball gags as kind of a kickback to the first one. While this is Go happening on. in um, London Bridge, literally falls down into the Thames River. It's falling down. Falling down. Falling down. London Bridge is falling down. My fair lady. No, how does that, I don't know how that song ends. I just, no, that, that's how it is. But my fair lady. My fair lady. Yeah, I, I fucked that one up. Oof. So, um, if London Bridge falls down, it's a big mystery. Who did it? And since Frank Drebin, he has so many years of police experience, he's dragged out of retirement again, but he has to team up with uh, head, of, head, head of Scotland Yard, who's also an, an aged gentleman, and combined, the two of them have like 120 years experience on the force. Uh, who is Who plays this aged gentleman? It is uh, Michael Palin. And he's literally the the British equivalent of um, Frank Drebin. They're both they're both bumbling, 
And the only difference is Leslie Nielsen keeps on deferring to Michael Palin because he assumes, oh, because he has a British accent, he must know what he's talking about. <laughs> so eventually they sort of, they fight, they get into arguments, they um, become become friends, there's a bit of an arc there. They ev- the, the climax of the film is they get into a little submarine to go under uh, water in the Thames River to look at the, the wreckage of uh, London Bridge, which has fallen down. Fallen down? Fallen down. And what London s- Bridge is falling down. My fair lady. And uh, there you go. You got it that time. Um, but now that it's called attention to it, I just ruined it again. <laughs> so uh, as they go underwater, he, he, he sees the wreckage and he sees uh, something weird, weird shimmering in the water. And all of a sudden, uh, he gets a flashback to his military days when Frank Rebin served in World War II. That's not just a submarine. That's a uh, a German submarine from World War II. And who is inside but uh, Frank Drebin's German nemesis as a young man in World War II. That's right. It is the, uh, the Red Baron himself. He's <laughs> kept alive in uh, the freezing temperatures of the Thames. Kept his blood uh, invigorated as well with some speed, uh, not speed, uh, steampunk magnifications on the submarine. So we get a, a classic uh, submarine versus submarine battle underseas. And they eventually board the uh, the steampunk uh, submarine. They You get sort of a, a three-way fist fight between uh, Leslie Nielsen, Michael Palin, and um, the, the bad guy. And the bad guy is played by um, by Bill Murray in a bad wig. How bad? You know, if you thought the wig was bad in what was the movie uh, with the the bowling? Big Lebowski. No, with Bill Tin Murray. Cup? No, it was a Farley Brothers movie. They did it right after Dumb and Dumber. The man who knew too little. No, it was it was a big anyway. It's a very bad wig, and um, that in the movie ends they they make it, they make it back uh, safely, but um, somehow along the way, Frank Drebin's uh, wife realizes she's pregnant and has to give birth immediately, and the baby comes out having a British accent and a monocle and a pipe. <laughs> Close in on Lizzie Nielsen's alarmed face. You hear a gunshot and it fades to black. Oh, uh, I like the gunshot fade to black thing. And, and I, would I think it'd be better if it fades to black and then you hear a gunshot. <laughs> That's true. Give me some room to interpret. <laughs> and I, I would call it um, naked, naked gun for British time. <laughs> no, that, that's awful. Uh, it would it would be uh, tea time, but the I in time would be a four. <laughs> so naked gun Tim T four M E. That's oh, uh, I, that's gonna be impossible to read. I love it. Ridiculous uh, pitch of sequel. You're not yours. making the A in naked a four. <laughs> <laughs> nope. <It's gonna> be... <laughs> okay. Well, mine, mine's gonna be uh, naked. Na- <laughs> mine's gonna be uh, <laughs> naked gun four. Uh, 
but it's going to be spelled all crazy. It's going to be spelled like uh, F-O-R. But even then, it should be the other kind of four, because this game, Frank Drabbit is brought out of retirement to go undercover, uh, excuse me, to go undercover at the Masters Golf Tournament. Because some evidence has come up that there's some sort of big international criminal operation happening at the Masters. And what it turns out is that some international criminals are – they're planning their, their, their sports fixers. You know, They fix sporting events for gambling right. purposes. Well, they're planning on rigging the Masters. Uh, and but the way they're going to do it, it's going to be they don't they don't get any of the golfers on their side to throw the game. Instead, they're supplying certain golfers secretly with performance enhancing drugs. Uh, so there's like lots of golfers who are completely super beefed out, like they're on steroids. But they're also on nerve medication that keeps their hands ridiculously steady when they putt. So Frank Drebin, who's not a golfer at all, gets a crash course in golf, uh, and during the course of one of his lessons and hits his golf instructor really hard in the shin with his golf club by complete accident. And the golf instructor swears at him. Right. It's something taken from life. Uh, and if you'll listen to our uh, Caddyshack 2 episode. Uh, and uh, anyway, finally, it finally it all ends with a, uh, a massive shootout at the Masters Tournament where basically a bunch of the organized crime guys get exposed by Leslie Nielsen, turns into a full shootout between them and a police squad, but it turns into World War II because both sides start using sand traps like trenches and artillery comes in out of nowhere, so it's a big show-stopping finale. Wow. And Leslie Nielsen will by accident win the Masters. Mainly because he'll be the only one left alive. Neat. Well, Thank you, Gun 4. Uh, so looking at the, the film news, is there any bit of sequel or remake news that sticks out to you? Well, actually, this just came out. Um, we, we all know that How I Met Your Mother has finally wrapped. Uh, right. And there's already a pseudo spinoff in the works kind of based on the same concept called How I Met Your Dad. And Meg Ryan has just been cast as the narrator. Really? So is this what the same characters then as How I Met Your Mother? Uh, no, as far as I know, it's just the same premise, but about a woman explaining to her kids how, how he, she met their father. But it's by the same showrunners or producers, or uh, yeah, I think it's got some of the same. I think it's got some of the same producers. Huh. And and honestly, like I kind of expected something like this to happen. I didn't expect it to happen so soon. Well, remember, you know, while that '70s show was still uh, a big deal, they had a, a spinoff. Not a called that eighty show. Yeah, that which, which all didn't, six which episodes. Didn't work. Yeah, I figured it was going to be like with Friends and Joey, how we would have six months of rumors about there being a spinoff, and then the spinoff would be confirmed. I wonder why Joey didn't do that well because they did market research. Joey was the most popular character. They had some cameos from the other Friends actors. It it made sense as a show concept, I think, but. Uh. Well, just that that time had passed. I guess so. It was a lightning in a bottle. You can't you can't always catch it. So, um I found a bit of news. You know, I'm I'm very curious about the upcoming uh film Expendables three. Just because the people in the movie are like Kelsey Grammer, Antonio Banderas, Mel Gibson, Harrison Ford. A lot a lot more uh, impressive names in the mix than what you had in the second one where the the new people were like Still, kind of like C tier actors like Jean Claude Van Damme and Chuck Norris. Um, what I find th- very lame is in promotion for the film, 
Stallone, uh, this is a quote from an interview he did with Collider. To get all these actors together is, is very, very rare. Life takes us all down different paths, so to get them together is an event. We're just trying to make an event movie, just like the Avengers. But without any of the goodwill or structure well, or that mythology. Quote, that quote would mean something like with the if this was would have been like the first Expendables, which is the first time they're getting a zillion uh, at one point, you know, like A and B list action stars in one movie. But this is the third time at bat, and these movies do really well every time. But yet, you look at like the the domestic box office office grosses for you know, like Stallone did one by himself called Bullet to the Head. Um, Schwarzenegger uh, did one oh recently where he plays a DEA agent, huh. and he says "fuck" all the time. Uh, I can't remember what that's called. And that one in the U.S. didn't do very well. Those tend to do better overseas. But it's like you got to get like twenty big act- old action stars in a film to get people to go out and see it. That's what they think, but why don't they just make a good movie? You don't see old people in movies in the theater that much. Or if you do, like, it's they have a, a cameo in a comic book movie. Like, it's very strange. You look at the marketplace, what stays out in the movie theaters. I think maybe people have been turned off of movie theaters in general, maybe because of the price. Well, I think the price is a problem. I think that the atmosphere in a lot of movie theaters is just so ghastly with lots of you know, lots of rude patrons. Uh, and then also, it seems like the last part of the pro- – like the thing that is the last thing to be considered is making a quality movie that people would want to see. I mean, if you're putting crappy movies in the theaters, of course you're going to have fewer people seeing them. Oh, and like a lot of these – the trailers – and I do like some new stuff. I don't want to say like all new stuff sucks because that's not a that's not a very healthy way to think. I think uh, it's not accurate either. No, no, no. But I mean, you look at all these like young adult movies based like like Divergent or Hunger Games or all that. Like all the trailers basically look the same. Where it's about uh, usually a teenage girl has some mysterious power or skill that she didn't know she had. And is she a superhero? Not really. Is she a vampire? Kind of. Is it supernatural stuff? Usually. And she joins this secret cult of like-minded people just like her, and they uh, fight against an evil force. And it's part one of a 20-part book series, and usually part one flops, unless it's Hunger Game or Divergent did pretty well uh, recently. Might be Divergence. I don't know. I haven't seen that film. But anyway, if you like Expendables, reportedly Expendables 4 is coming, and then they have a spinoff, which I think will make you vomit, Thrasher. Oh, Expendables. Expendables, yeah. But I think having an all-women, like, superstar action film is actually a good idea. No, I think it's a cool idea. I'm just, I'm, I am I don't have high hopes for it. Although I'm waiting for, like, the tagline for the trailer to be, it's ladies' night. Yeah, I don't, I mean, the last time I could think they really did this with an action film with a lot of women was the two uh, Charlie's Angels movies. Which is actually probably a series we should cover, because I actually, strangely enough, I do have some very strong opinions about those. I've never seen the second one. Pretty neat. Well, with any luck, you'll never have to. (laughs) Right. Um, So, pretty cool. So, I mean, so that's some sequel news we've talked about. I I think you got a question for me, Thrasher. Yes. And that question is, uh, how long is it? No, I'm just kidding. What you watching? 
Well, have you seen an earthworm? It's like about a, a tenth of one of those. Uh, well, well uh, mine, have you ever, well, as, as far as mine, uh, you ever been to Arrakis, the desert planet? Yes. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, spicy, I, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> um, Thank you, listeners, for well, putting up with that. We just lost all our listeners with that uh, Dune uh, sex joke. Thank you. <laughs> let's let, let's try to earn them back. Let's keep on doing what we doing. Um, I'm. Um, what uh, what I, have you been watching? Well, I, I've been harkening back to uh, what I've watched <laughs> the past week. I I tried to sit down, and I, there was some fun uh, streaming movies on Netflix, and I thought I've been meaning to see these. I got I got some extra time because uh, uh, my wife was had to do some stuff with some friends. Like, all right, I'm going to watch, like, a, a an action movie that I normally could not watch with her because she has no interest on my own time. So, uh, and I only made it through about 30 minutes of one film and an hour of the other before I shut them off. I'm like, this stuff is just terrible. I'd rather play more of my South Park uh, video game. So, have you ever had that thing where you're excited to see something and then you just have to turn it off because you, you just don't have the time to waste? Very rarely. Oh, okay. But, but yeah. I'm just impatient, I suppose. So one of these was a Schwarzenegger film. It was the first movie he had as a starring vehicle after he got back into acting full-time, after being the governor of California. Um, this is The Last Stand, and it's about a uh, a super smart criminal gets access to a car that's, like, really, really fast that can, like, go three times as fast as a cop car, and it's armored, and it has all these weapons. And he happens to break out of jail, and he goes by this sort of, like, slow town in the middle of nowhere in the Midwest, and all the other police officers are, are on vacation. It's just the one lonely sheriff guarding the town with a few of the idiots. Hmm. And I think as a plot, like, that's that's decent. But the sheriff is played by Arnold Schwarzenegger. And had it been played by, like, Robert Duvall or Kevin Costner or Clint Eastwood, these are, like, grizzled sheriff lines. But coming out of Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, he goes into the diner. Hey! And the waitress is talking to him. I'll just pretend the name is Arnold. Hey, how you doing, Arnold? You want you want your favorite, the, uh, the omelet with the bacon? And he pats his stomach. No, I need to... No, I'm trying to keep myself fit and trim. <laughs> the lines coming out of Schwarzenegger and that character flat out doesn't work. Is is he like trying to say them like they're a joke or Yes. And Schwarzenegger can be funny, but it's him getting back into having a full time leading man role. And I just don't think it was a great fit, but it's very stylishly shot. The um uh, director whose name I can't recall right now, uh has directed a lot of great um Japanese films and, and has done some scenes and video games and stuff. I might have to check the rest of it out, but it just lost interest. I just think Schwarzenegger did not work. And guess who the village idiot is that's kind of his sidekick? It's played by Johnny Knoxville. Huh. And Luis Guzman is the other one with him. So, I, Luis Guzman elevates any film he is in. He, yeah, he has a unique energy. Uh, so the other film I tried watching was actually a sequel, G.I. Joe Retaliation. Oh, yeah. And I found it worse than the live-action G.I. Joe movie from almost uh, a decade ago. It's too complicated. 
Right. The thing I liked about the G.I. Joe movie um, from about 10 years ago that had Dennis Quaid in it and stuff is that they shot things with lasers. Things exploded really good. It knew it was kind of it, it knew that G.I. Joe was kind of stupid. Yeah. It was self-aware. And this one, it, it does the standard modern, even though it's a sequel, it's kind of a reboot at the same time because it's a different tone. It's so serious and, and gritty, trying to be like 24 or something, that it just becomes humorless. And I sort of like the ninja scenes. I kind of like the scene where someone was trying to record a, a phone conversation and transmit it before they got caught at this sort of dance. But... Yeah, I don't know. I, I was just not so impressed. Had you seen that G.I. Joe Retaliation? Yes, yes, I have. Uh, so what did you think of it? I, I liked The Rock in it. The, the yeah. Rock, yeah. as always, you know, he's very charismatic, very, very fun. But I just felt like I felt like the story was too complicated, and like I, w- I wanted it to be more over the top. If it had been more over the top and sillier, I think it would have been much more bearable. But because it, like, it could have been a good, bad movie, but instead it was a bad movie that was trying desperately to pretend like it was good. And had you seen the live-action one, the G.I. Joe Rise of Cobra? Yes, I had seen that previously. Did you like it? No, not really. Oh, like I, I liked. Yeah, I liked bits and pieces, but in the end, it is a movie based on a cartoon that was a half-hour-long toy commercial based on an action figure line based on another line of action dolls. Huh. And speaking of which, I did I did catch in the news that Sony is trying to develop a live-action Barbie film. Yes, I saw that as well. Which. I guess you could do. I mean, they've certainly done a lot of direct-to-video cartoons, but what would it be? What would it be about? Would the plot be well, a girl gets a toy Barbie and it becomes a real person and it has to learn how well, to do the real world? I hope that's not what they do. The the <laughs> uh, article I saw on it, this was the because I don't have high hopes for this film, but the one redeeming thing in the article I read was that the pitch that they got. The pitch that the studio got that made them decide to the the Mattel got that made them decide to sign off on this film is that the movie plays around with the notion that Barbie has a hundred different jobs. So there's going to be something sort of meta contextual in it about how she is a model and a veterinarian and an astronaut and a corporate raider and you know like you know just all those different jobs that the, the the doll has had throughout the years so who would play a good barbie would it be uh scarlett johansson anna kendrick huh? i suppose they could i guess i guess you want someone kind of youthful bubbly and fun but that's the thing is the the character is barbie is in essence so artificial i honestly don't think there is anybody who could play her they should cast lindsay lohan as barbie like like, it should just be CG. Like, I honestly feel like it should just be a CGI character. I think Lindsay Lohan as Barbie would be funny. But I don't know. That would just be... Funny, but not necessarily good. What if you did the opposite? What if you did um, Melissa McCarthy as Barbie? You, hmm. You know, that would... And you wouldn't use... You know the, what? You Why the hell use, not? You wouldn't use the computer to make to make her skinny... But maybe the joke, you know, it would just be, hey, this this is a, a, a heavy set. Um, I, I think you could say obese might be safe to say. I don't know. Uh, well, well, are you thinking like the, the story would be Ken and Barbie were married, had two kids, and she kind of let herself go? 
Right. Or like they got into a, maybe they didn't even have uh, a kid. Like they got into a, a huge epic fight that lasted the whole weekend. And Ken says, that, that that's it. I'm through. And he leaves. And uh, yeah, she's let herself go. And she works a, a lot of jobs because she has to uh, support her, her, her ailing uh, grandmother. No, no, no. Her whole family is dead, and she's been left with custody of her, of her little sister, Skipper, because of that. So she's going to put Skipper through college. There you go. She's going to put little Skipper uh, through college, so she's working 20 jobs. And at one of her jobs, which happens to be at a fast food restaurant, who comes in the line but her ex-husband, Ken, who's with someone who looks just like Barbie used to look. Ginger. <laughs> Barbie's best friend, Ginger. Yeah. Um... All I'm going to say is I'm well-versed in the lore. There you go. So, interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Um, We'll see. I could see that happening. I think it's a bit surprising it hasn't happened already, really. I think Barbie is one of those names like Coca-Cola or Pepsi, one of those brands. Everybody knows uh, what Barbie is. Indeed. Hey, here's a fun fact. If Barbie has a last name, it's Robert's. Why is that fun? I, I just it just never occurred to me that she had a full name, Barbie Millicent Roberts. Ah, I see. Okay. Um so uh, we got one more segment. And this is uh this is your baby thrasher. Ah, uh, yes, the Paul Gopal Show Memorial Mashup, where I take two disparate impressions, stitch them together like I'm so- some sort of Dr. Frankenstein in some sort of Dr. Frankenstein's laboratory creating some sort of Dr. Frankenstein's monster. And I unleash that horrible creation on Matt and our guests, and they have to figure out what that impression is. And the name of the impression will be a combination of the names of its component parts. So, ready to go? Yep. All right. <clears throat> so, here I go. Well, tell you what, babe. I took my one good eye and I started looking over the script. And I got to say, it really jives with me, man. I mean, I absolutely have to play this Sala character in your Indiana Jones pick. It's going to be fantastic. But, of course, my schedule is going to be pretty busy after that because I'm also in talks to play a dwarf in that Hobbit ring-a-ding-ding thing. And, of course, uh, between between the two roles, if things work out, babe, I'm probably going to, you know, play uh, a Dr. Arturo on sliders with that kid, Jerry O'Connell. He's pretty hip. It's all cool, cats, if I get this part, if you know what I'm saying. You dig? So who was that? Have I stumped you? No, I, I think it's John Rice Davis, Jr., Yes, John Rice Davis Jr. A combination, a combination of John Rice yeah, Davies, Davies and Sammy Davis Jr. Pretty good. You know, at first, I, I got this Sammy Davis Jr. that was a pretty good impersonation. And then I was thinking, uh, hmm, you're talking about Lord of the Rings and Hobbit. And I'm thinking, okay, maybe that's a pun. And then there's something else in there. And I'm like, I don't know what this is. And then I sort of put it and when he did sliders. I'm like, oh, okay, you're making a connection. And I finally figured it out. What what tipped you off that it was uh, Sammy Davis Jr.? The sound, the nasally sound, the way he was talking. Really? Yeah. I, I was worried that my Sammy Davis Jr. impression was going to be terrible. That's why I threw in that whole thing about having one good eye. Well, that, that certainly helped. But I think just that uh, Sammy Davis Jr., even if you do a, a bad impersonation, I, I think yours is, is okay. 
but it's certainly better than mine, so that makes it good. Um, <laughs> it's such a unique voice that even if you're just kind of in the ballpark, it's pretty easy to pick up on what it is. So you did too easy, Thrasher. I actually got it right. All right. Well, maybe... I'll try to make the next one more obscure. Sure. Perhaps, perhaps it will be a reference to Scandinavian mythology. Can you talk about something for a few minutes as I type? I suppose I can, although I don't know why we're doing this in the middle of the show. Uh, but I finally saw uh, Captain America: The Winter Soldier. Fantastic movie. Even if I am, is it easy to follow? Even if you haven't read the comic, I'm. I am going to say so. Uh, all the information you need to understand the movie is there in the movie. There'll be other things to appreciate if you've seen the other Marvel movies or if you're familiar with the comics, but that's one thing I love about the new crop of Marvel movies. You don't have to be literate in the comic to to enjoy it, and I think that's really helping their mass appeal. But if you do know the comics, there's so many rich things to pick up on. The question I had is I did think um, Captain America is one of the better of the so-called Phase 1 films leading up to the Avengers. Oh, yeah. Now, that, that being said... I loved all the stuff in the in the past in Captain America, which was most of the film. Which I like, too. I'm so happy that they did a period piece. I really – I know they're not doing this, but I really feel that's the way you should do the Fantastic Four. Mm. Now, set, do, set it yeah. in the 1960s. But do you think there's a period uh, – what am I trying to say? Is there a period piece segment in the new Captain America? Uh, the film connects to the past and on several levels. Uh, you will you will not be disappointed. Not really answering, but y- yes, parts of it take place in the past. Great, thank you. That's all I wanted to know. I, I don't think that's a spoiler. Um, the Winter Soldier comic arc that it's based on—that's somewhat recent, is it not? It, it is more recent. I think that was the nineties. Had you read that comic before? Did you think it was uh, faithful? No, I have. I have not read that story arc. This, this is the. This is my relationship with both Marvel and DC currently. I just flat out don't read their current stuff. Many, many talented people work on their current crop of comics, but when it comes down to it, buying individual comics just doesn't work for me. I would rather buy graphic novel collections or just read the classics. Well, I was going to announce what we're doing next. But we need a tiebreaker, so I can't live on the show. Uh, do, you, do you want to let people know what the choices are so maybe they can uh, they can chime in before the I next will. episode? Yeah, I'll give a bit more time for people to, to choose. Um, and to choose, send me a message on Twitter at SequelCast. But I want the listeners to decide between, because I can't decide what we should do. Should we do more high class, do the Godfather trilogy, or should we do more science fiction, do the Matrix trilogy? Oh, now are we are we going to do so we're not going to do the Godfather quadrilogy. There's not four Godfather films. No, no, there is. It, it goes Godfather, Godfather 2, Goodfellas, Godfather 3. No. I took that from Mad Magazine. Thank you and good night. <laughs> um <laughs> the um, Oh, actually, um I want one thing I did want to touch on uh, in this episode. So Leslie Nielsen, in addition to doing like Mr. Magoo and some other comedy roles after this, uh, he did. Uh, he was involved in the Zucker Abrams and Zucker, I believe, produced. I don't know if they wrote it. Uh, Two thousand and one, a space travesty. I've never seen, seen that. It. I recall it was rated R for some reason. It's shitty. 
Yeah. And so so little of it takes place in outer space and the outer space thing, which really takes up only about 10 to 15 minutes in the, the beginning of the movie, is so thin. I And once the actual plot kicks in, I honestly think that this was a script for a fourth Naked Gun movie. But they couldn't do Naked Gun because of the whole O.J. Simpson thing, so they just kind of crammed this science fiction thing in to justify it being different. Because he plays a detective who goes on a mission to stop a terrorist bombing uh, at an opera house. <laughs> yeah, and if the only gag in it that I think really works is, like, they have this Pavarotti guy come out on stage, and basically they do this full orchestral version of In the Navy with the Pavarotti character singing In the Navy, but I think it's in Italian. But then it turns into uh, it turns into English, and Leslie Nielsen is disguised as the band conductor. That is a thing from the Naked Gun movies, and all the movies he has to he disguises himself as someone else in a public uh, thing, whether it's a baseball game or a the Oscars, a dinner, right, or the Oscars. Um, yeah. and, and I love that. There's so much comedy you can get from that kind of misplacement. So we have some more time for votes. So um, I guess I'll, I'll extend this out a few weeks because by the time this episode comes out. So, yeah, if you want us to do Matrix or Godfather, um, we'll give you some time there. Excellent. And one could argue, you did joke about four Godfather movies, but there's one thing that we could kind of throw in there. Mm. There is a film called The Sicilian, based off a novel by Mario Puzo. The Mm. original novel did have a young Vito uh, Corleone. However, they had to take all those references out of the film because they didn't have the rights to do a uh, Godfather as a movie. Uh. How about that? So we just got live on the air. We got a, another vote from a listener. Is this the deciding vote? We're going to make the deciding moment. I take back everything I just said. Coming to you live from Hollywood, California, the results of the sequel cast, new franchise poll. So let me give a shout out to the, uh, the fans that voted. Thank you so much, listeners. I, I can't say enough. It's always fun when we do these, even if I do it half-assed and last in last uh, second. So when I, I put up the question, Matrix or Godfather, a uh, fan of the show, uh, Jordan Alleman, said, Matrix, curious to hear what you guys think of the sequels. Interesting. And in the past 10 minutes, we've had uh, two votes live on Twitter as we're recording this. Uh, friend of the show, Chris Walsh, he was a guest on our uh, Gremlins episode, I think. Gremlins 2, perhaps. So. Uh, for one or two? One. I think it was one. One, right. So it was right at, before my grandma's funeral. So fun time to <laughs> Happy do a listening, viewers. Yeah. Uh, and happy viewers listening. And Yun, uh, not Yun, what the fuck am I talking about? New listener, Yun listener, <laughs> new listener, uh, Tian Davis, threw his hat in the rain with Chris. They both said, now, now what do you think it is, Thrasher? Matrix? No, Godfather. So are we switching back? Are we doing Godfather now? Yeah, we're doing Godfather. Okay, so as long as we don't get any more votes by the end of this recording, we're doing Godfather. We are doing Godfather. So thank you so much, uh, listeners, for voting. I that's a, Next time I'll do more of a formal vote. I think later in the summer would be fun. An official poll, a Gallup poll. Galloping all so up. So, where over can you. listeners follow you, Thrasher? Well, they can follow me on Twitter at Internet Mayor. I am the mayor of the internet. Got any Still more, holding that prestigious office. Any more books coming out? 
Uh, well, let's see. I talked about People of the River. Uh, I'm actually currently I'm currently working on some material for the next volume of uh, the gaming magazine uh, D Infinity. We are releasing a we're releasing a special edition of the magazine at Comic Palooza in uh, in May, the end of May next month, Memorial Day weekend. I've got a couple of things in that. I've got a I've got a Cthulhu Live scenario, The Ageless. What I'm working on right now actually is a demo version of a board game I've been developing for the past year. Uh, the demo version is Dagon Rises. It's a Cthulhu mythos inspired board game but the thing that's different is the main thing that is different is that the board changes at the end of every round the board reconfigures itself according to certain parameters let's see for me uh, you can catch me every tuesday night from 8 to 10 p.m at the ram in wilsonville i host a pub quiz for geeks who drink um so i don't write the questions but i I uh, deliver the questions and, and score the quizzes, and it's quite a multimedia operation um, at that venue because it's PowerPoint and music and video. It's pretty fun, so you should check it out if you're in the Portland, Oregon area. Uh, Tuesdays, eight to ten p.m. at the Ram. And uh, any more cons coming up for you, Thrasher? Any more conventions? Uh, the the big one is Comic Palooza. Then after that, Origins, and then Gen Con. You have a favorite convention. I think it's Origins, isn't it? You seem to uh, like overall, it is Origins. I absolutely love Gen Con, but Gen Con is where I work. Origins is where I play. I see. Yeah, I've been looking to try and get um, another live sequel cast panel at a at a convention, but I, it's just a bit. It's a bit of time, I think, before there's a, a new one coming up. But it looks like well, I didn't want to. Yes. I didn't want to tip my hat too early, but I'm going to be putting one at the next Scarefest in September. Nice. You going to do it on horror movies? Most likely. It depends on what guests I can get, but yeah, most likely it will be on the subject of horror movies. I don't know if we'll pick a specific franchise. We might just limit it to horror, only horror movies with sequels. Well, that, that doesn't limit it at all. There's quite a lot, but yeah. There, I think yeah, they tend to automatically get sequels. Right. Definitely. All right. Well, this has been a very long show. It's It's got some bonus content. As they say. Yes. <laughs> Including that live voting segment. That live, uh, live voting. Right. So, I see, I'll see if I can get some of our friends in the Battleship Retention Podcast fleet to guest on The Godfather. Cause I, think I bet they'd like. Whenever we do something more serious, I think that's more in their, wheel, or their wheelhouse. So, all right. So, until next time, this is Matt. And this is Thrasher. Saying, Hoo ha! Hey! Whoa! Hoo! Like a midget at a urinal, I was going to have to keep in my toes. I can't believe we didn't talk about the opening sequence. It gets has both Jurassic Park and Star Wars in it. And there's another dinosaur gag uh, towards the end of the film. Oh, the geriatric, geriatric park, where they do the T-Rex thing, only instead of a T-Rex foot, it's a giant walker. Right, the the opening credits are very, very silly. I, I, I could not stop laughing when I saw the police car doing the trench run. I loved that. The sequel cast is a Hipster Goblin production. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.